Hello and welcome to Volleyball State, a look at college volleyball in six rotations presented this week by Bison Incorporated. I'm Jeff Sheldon. And I'm Lincoln Arneal. Nebraska not at their best, but the Huskers do enough to advance to the Sweet 16. We break down the Lincoln Regional and all the regionals around the country, who's alive and maybe even who's favored to make the Final Four today. And we'll hear from the head coach of one of those teams. We'll be joined by Creighton head coach Kirsten Bernthal Booth whose Blue Jays are heading to Pittsburgh for the Sweet 16 after knocking off Minnesota on Saturday night. But first, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can find us on Twitter at VolleyballPod. Thank you so much for following the show and emailing us suggestions and questions at VolleyballState at gmail.com. Plus, we are a proud part of the Podcast House Media Podcasting Network. You can find us and all the great Podcast House Media shows online at PodcastHouseMedia.com. And if you want to hit us up individually, you can find me on Twitter at by Jeff Sheldon. And I'm Lincoln underscore VB. And you can read all my daily coverage of the Husker volleyball team at huskersillustrated.com. So we got a packed show full of the uh, action around the postseason action around the nation. Uh, we'll start off the first rotation recapping Nebraska's uh, first and second round wins over Long Island, Missouri. We'll also give a quick recap of other action going on in uh, the region teams that are coming to Lincoln for the regionals. Uh, then we will jump to our interview with uh, Kirsten Bernthal Booth, talk about the Blue Jays and their path and how they got to where they are playing in the second weekend. We will then go to rotation three. We will take a look at the Madison Regional, who is going to be joining the Wisconsin Badgers in the second weekend and how they got there. Uh, we're going to stick with the theme. Rotation four is the Pittsburgh Regional. And rotation five, Stanford Regional. Uh, we'll mix Stanford had to survive a scare there. We'll talk about yeah, that a little bit, too. For sure. Uh, then we'll mix it up. Rotation six, we'll talk high, and highlight some smaller division Nebraska schools that are entering their postseason. Some exciting news going on there for uh, former podcast guest of uh, Volleyball State. So we will check in with the Wayne State Wildcats. But let's start like we always do in rotation one, reviewing the week that was for Nebraska volleyball. And I don't know if uh, there was panic alarm sign. Sounding on a Friday night, but there was some unrest and uneasy feelings after yeah. Nebraska didn't completely obliterate Long Island. Jeff, what was your mood after watching <laughs> that first round match? Well, I was I was pretty unimpressed. Uh, if you couldn't tell by by us kind of following the match along on social, you know, watch it was watching the match on Friday. And this was a match that, you know, I, I should I kicked myself afterwards because sometimes Nebraska does this in the first round. And and we have seen kind of how Nebraska responds to teams um, that is per, are perceived to not quite be at their level. And Long Island was certainly that they were the lowest RPI rated team in the tournament. But you think that Nebraska is going to come out and dominate this match and hit like 415 and and win this, you know, 25, 11, 10 and eight, which we've seen in the first round a couple times before. And this was a this was an unimpressive Nebraska performance. And everyone from the team to the fans in the Devaney Center, at least from the way it looked on the broadcast, were just not really fired up to be there. Uh, this was not a match that was played with a lot of intensity. Didn't look like it was watched with a lot of intensity. Now, Nebraska sweeps Long Island, but this was not the dominant performance that you expected from Nebraska against an outmatched opponent. They were actually outblocked by Long Island uh, as a team. You know, they hit below 250. They don't have a lot of giants. Yeah, they're not big. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Nebraska got a couple early and then the blocking just went away. Long Island outblocked Nebraska eight to six. Um, Nebraska couldn't terminate uh, both starting outsides hit below 150 
which was sort of a recurring theme throughout the weekend. And, and we're going to dive into that concern a little bit later. But uh, just it was an it was an unenthusiastic, unimpressive yeah. performance. And, you know, they're not all going to be great when you're playing uh, deep into uh, the season and, and, and they've played 31 matches now. You know, you hear word afterwards that a couple players on the team are uh, are sick. They're they're battling colds. The team's maybe passing around an illness for a while. But like, guess what? That's what happens in December. If anyone has young kids, you know that if you go to school or daycare in December, that's when everyone starts coming home with the sniffles or worse. Um, so it's nothing that every other team isn't dealing with. And, and Nebraska just kind of needs to find a way to up that intensity or else, you know, this next weekend they play might be the last weekend they play. Yeah. Uh, if you are a person who is a likes omens, likes some good uh, history or signs of things to come too, this isn't the first time Nebraska has struggled out of the gates against an overmatched opponent. Uh, you go back to uh, 2015, Nebraska taking on the mighty Harvard Crimson. The Crimson. The Crimson. Uh, they dropped the first set to Harvard 25-22. Uh, then we know what happens in 2015. Nebraska goes on and wins the mm. national championship. 2008. Nebraska's playing Liberty. They drop the second set to Liberty, uh, end up winning three to one, make it to the final four that year. And 2006, Nebraska's playing American. I was going to say Americans in there somewhere. Yeah. right? And Nebraska wins the first two. The third set, they drop 30 to 28. That's back when they were playing the 30 points. So they didn't, they didn't go to extra points, but they lost at 30 to 28 for riding the ship and winning 30 to right. 16. So, uh, if you like like history, think oh Nebraska's doomed. They're, it's going to be a post. They can't even handle Long Island. They're going to have a short mm-hmm. postseason run. No, I think it's stylistic. Yeah. Stylistically, they're just such a different team than what Nebraska's kind of has seen all season. I mean, even in the non-con, there wasn't much similarity. Just kind of yeah. the slow tempo. They hit at different angles, right? Under, when you're rolling out a bit, yeah. five eight, five nine outside hitters that know how to tool. Like, and you saw this with Missouri on Saturday night too. teams that really are are used to hitting against a bigger block. Like Nebraska's can really frustrate them if they, if they know how to tool and Nebraska's getting tooled like crazy at times against Missouri on Saturday night. But uh, you know, you want to run through the, the long yeah. Island match and cool. Nebraska, I'll, I'll, I'll close with this real quick before we get into it. Nebraska was also not the only higher seated team or high seated team that struggled uh, in some matches this weekend, you know, Texas dropped a set against Texas A&M. Sanford went five against a team they have no business losing two sets to. So, you know, this is this happens in the tournament. Yeah, we'll talk about Texas. I got a fun stat about Texas. Okay. We, we talk about them later. But so it looked like Nebraska was really going to come out and like Cruz. They were up uh, early in that first set. Uh, was it 19 to seven or something like that? Oops, I got it right here. Yeah, it was 1917. 19, 19, 19, 19 to 7. 19 to 7 is what it was. Oh, okay. Uh, I have an extra wrong on my note. But they were they were hitting <laughs> they were hitting hitting 750. Four players, every single swing they took were putting down. Uh the sharks were hitting negative and like, okay, this is what everyone expected. It's gonna be a route. But then uh Long Island called their second timeout and they came out and this I don't know the energy just flipped, and Nebraska had five five hitting errors. Mm-hmm. The rest of the set and a, and a service there, too. So uh, Long Island didn't earn another point the rest of the set. Nebraska just gave them on mistakes of their own. And that really kind of changed the tenor of the match and just airs piled up a lot more. And it really kind of that. that and so Nebraska looks like on a cruise and they, they did end up winning that first set 25-13. And it, mm-hmm. but it but it changed the the kind of mindset of what Nebraska was able to do and maybe gave Long Island a little bit of confidence like, oh, hey, they are yeah. valuable. They 
they aren't this almighty team yeah. that can do no wrong. They make mistakes just like we do. And with, with these them. with these lower seated teams, you know, once the stars get out of their eyes from coming out and seeing nine thousand people at the Devaney Center, you know, they there comes a point where they realize like, oh, hey, this is a volleyball match. We've played a lot of these this year. Mm-hmm. And and these players don't don't this te- these teams don't have anything to lose, right? They're not expected yeah. to win. This is supposed to be the final match they play. So it's just like go out and take swings and be brave and serve tough and let the chips fall where they may. And you know, Nebraska played this way. What, what the, the team I saw play against Long Island on Friday is kind of the same team I saw let Iowa hang around, who hadn't didn't win a Big Ten match this year, who dropped sets to Northwestern and Illinois. And, uh, you know, I don't know if, if Nebraska does a lot of record watching where they where they take a look at a team's record. And if it doesn't appear that tough, then like they dial it back a little bit um, emotionally. But, you know, this was this was a match that Nebraska could have, you know, ended in 68 minutes and uh, just just kind of let Long Island hang around. Yeah, for sure. And, that, and it's, I think you saw that in the second set too, Long Island came out. They, and John Cook said that Long Island was statistically one of the best serving teams that they had faced all year. I don't know. I don't have mm-hmm. access to those stats, but they, they served pretty good. And, and you saw them take it to Nebraska. They were only down 15 to 13 in the second set. So mm-hmm. really kind of hung tight with Nebraska until Nebraska pulled away. They got a bunch of kills uh, and a few, a few uh, Long Island airs to pull away and win that second set comfortably too. But then the third point, the third set really, uh, again, and this is mixed with Long Island team to play a little more confidence and the traditional Nebraska third set swoon. And yeah, I don't know if they need to take like vitamins or eat orange slices at the intermission, but set three after winning. If you want to win a set for Nebraska, let them win the first two and then like wait for them to you know be a little logy coming out in game three. What they probably need to do is they all have a coffee addiction. They need to have Starbucks waiting for them in the locker room and just down whatever yeah. event here and get a, get get a some Red Bull or something and sugar in there and you fire them up, but they, they, Nebraska fell behind. They five four to one, eight to four, and uh, 12 to seven. Is kind of, so Long Island had their last big lead at 12 to seven, and Nebraska start, they had a four straight points that kind of chip into that. And mm-hmm. I don't know if there's, there's uneasiness, but you could tell the crowd's like, the nervous the Devaney show. Center murmur that sort of like this yeah. is across all of Nebraska sports is. If you've been in Memorial Stadium or Pinnacle Bank Arena, when things start going bad, you hear like the uncomfortable murmur. like, And th- that's probably what was going through the Devaney on Friday night. I, I had someone reply to one of my uh, score update tweets saying Nebraska is just playing with his food, which if you're, if you're yeah. a shark, that's, that's a dangerous proposition. Mm-hmm. And Long Island actually led as late as 19 to 16 before Nebraska Called, I think John Cook called this lone timeout of the entire match at 19 to 16. I don't give him a fiery pep talk. Say, all right, quit messing around. Let's go. They locked it in. Came out. Andy Jackson had a kill. Merritt Beeson had a back row kill. Nebraska took its first lead of that third set at 23 22. And then Merritt Beeson, as she did the next night, mm-hmm. ter- terminated the final two rallies of the, of the match too. And end it and send everyone who yeah. wasn't already headed for the aisles late. Uh, That's what I was thinking on Saturday night against Missouri, too, is when like in that in those winning points, Bergen Riley decides this is no longer a democracy. Like <laughs> I, I'm going where I know we're going to get some kills. Oh, yeah. And uh, and that player on this year's team is, is Merritt Beeson. So Beeson led the way with 13 kills against Long Island. Um, I, I don't have a and Murray both had. I want to say double digits or, cl- or were close to double digits. But the numbers that jumped out to me is both Allie Beatenhorst and, and Harper Murray hit below 155. Um, 
on the night. And and we're going to dive into their numbers in, in just a little bit more. Lincoln, what was what was the final tally for them? Uh, Ali Batenhorst had seven kills, hit 136. Harper Murray had nine kills, hit 154. Yep. Um, so let's get into Missouri, which was uh, definitely a different feel of a match. You know, the Devaney Center um, was was up and the energy was there on Saturday night. Nebraska still was not exceptional offensively against Missouri, but where they really picked up on Saturday was the the serving and the blocking. Bergen Riley, you know, Nebraska starts in rotation one every match with with her serving. Um, she served the first seven points of the match. It was 7-0, I think, before maybe it was 6-0 before Missouri finally called a timeout. Yeah, and then, they called a timeout at 6-0, and then she got one more yeah. right after that. So so a great start for Nebraska with the serving. She was yo-yoing uh, Missouri's libero Maya Sands, who was the target of Nebraska's serving uh, all night. In fact, Lincoln, you put this number out there on social. I, I hadn't even thought to check. But of the 65 serves Nebraska made in the match against Missouri, Nebraska served at Missouri's libero Maya Sands 53 times. Yeah. So in a lot of teams, you know, you're going to serve away from the libero. You're going to serve an outside or a DS. And Nebraska, you know, that that big, bright yellow jersey was just a bullseye for Nebraska serving strategy on uh, on Saturday night. And they it, it worked. Missouri was yeah. out of system much of the night. And it started right from the get go. I mean, Riley had during that 7-0 run, she had three aces and uh, mm-hmm. all three of them were credited as the service receive errors. Well, the first stands. the first serve of the night was like yeah. in uh, inside the back line by a lot. You know, it wasn't one of those quote close ones that hit the line and, and she elected to let it go. And then a couple of other were short. One was a dirty ace. It hit the tape yeah. and, and trickled over. But but still, it's a point. Um, the offense got a little bit better on uh, on Saturday night. Merritt Beeson, again, led the way 12 kills and hit 435. But even that I felt like was a quiet 12 kills when, you know, I watched the match there from the Devaney Center. And it's like, I don't feel like anyone's really taking over this match. And then you look at the stats at the end and and Beeson have tw- had 12 kills. She came on late. Yeah, it, it, you almost felt like this had a similar feel to Long Island where Nebraska got off to a really hot start. They scored those first seven points and then they hit a lull. With a lot of errors, I mean, Missouri mm-hmm. went on a 5-1 run to get back to 10-8. Uh, and Nebraska had three errors. Batenhorst was blocked during that. Jackson was blocked on a slide. And then they gave up an ace, which I mm-hmm. think they just kind of let go. Uh, if you And prompt, prompting a John Cook timeout. And uh, yeah. If, if you've got the, the box score in front of you, what did Nebraska hit in game one? It was something like 111. It was a It was a low team number. I remember that. It was one. Yeah, they had eight kills, six errors in that first set. So Nebraska dominated game one, even though they only hit 111. And that was thanks to to the block, which really showed up tonight. Becca Alec was back in the lineup. She had sat out the Friday match against Long Island and Maggie Mendelson played in her place. Um, Becca Alec, you know, kind of brought the energy uh, in the front row. She uh, was the leader on the team that had 14 blocks in three sets on Saturday night. How many blocks did she have just individually? She was credited with had to be like seven or eight. She had right? eight, eight blocks in the and in, in the in the mm-hmm. uh, in the in the match and five of those came in the first set. Yeah. So Nebraska's defense set the tone from the get go. Um Missouri actually out killed Nebraska in this match. Yeah. Missouri had one more kill, 36 to 35, but still they hit uh 089 <clears throat> and they had 15 more errors than Nebraska did. So yeah. this was definitely a serve block and defense win for the Huskers. Ali Batenhorst had seven kills against Missouri. Harper Murray had six. Again, your two uh, starting outside hitters only combined for 13 kills and combined to hit 171. So uh, this was not a glorious weekend for Nebraska's outside hitters. Merritt Beeson had a really solid weekend. And uh, the middles stepped up defensively. Middles didn't 
put up a ton offensively against Missouri. Alec had five kills. Andy Jackson had three. The middles combined to only hit 222 when normally you'd like to see them at about that 350 mark. But um, offensive efficiency is not something that, you know, Nebraska's really got humming heading into the Sweet 16. Defensively, they look pretty good. Um, but Missouri uh, had had their moments in this match. Janet Demeray at 13 kills to uh, lead the Tigers. Nebraska did a really good job defensively on Missouri's opposite hitter, Jordan Iliff, who was their leading attacker coming into the match. She hit negative on Saturday, six kills, seven errors on her 18 swings. Uh, game three, though, Lincoln, we want to get into that. Once again, that's where the drama ensued. You, you talk about those uh, late, uh, that typical set three lull. And once again, it popped up again. Look, Nebraska looked like they're in control up 14 to 10, but give up five straight points to Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, a couple kills, give up another ace, get blocked. And then another uh, Damaris Hill calls uh, the media timeout kind of save them that time. So Cook didn't have to call timeout. And then it was a bunch of side outs. Uh, and really, and Missouri led as late as 20 to 19 before uh, a couple of airs by Missouri. DeMar had air. And then um, their other great, uh, their other big attacker, Delaria get Oh, yeah. I'm going to let you like Sorry. go through that name. For an Delaria, Delaria, she was great. She came to talk to her Turkish game. outside hitter. Yes. Who was Delaria. very good, I thought. Yeah, she had, she finished with 12 kills, too. She got called for a back court. She stepped on that uh, 10-foot line. Missouri got called court. for that a couple times on Saturday where they tried to set the back row, and the back row attacker mm-hmm. stepped on the, the 10-foot line. Um, Huskers went up 23-21 on their final block of the night, and from there, Bergen Riley knew where her bread was going to be buttered, went to Merritt Beeson on the final two points of the match. Yeah, um, I thought it was especially telling on match point. I think it was Nebraska got maybe three swings at that because there was a, it was a longer rally. And Riley went to um, Merritt Beeson on each of those swings. It, yeah. it was not, hey, let's let's try my middle. Let's try the back row. It was Merritt. Please help us out and end this match. And she finally did on her final swing of the night. So yeah. she finished with 12 kills. And to me, it did late was, I mean, Becca Alec was, we were talking about she had five blocks in that first. She had, before Beeson had her two uh, kills to end it, Becca Alec was involved in a couple of blocks, one one with Murray uh, and one with Beeson just to kind of set the tone. And that was the energy that Nebraska was lacking on uh, mm-hmm. on, on Friday night, too. And, and then Becca Alec, as was awarded by our former podcast guest, Emily Eamon, was the uh, hype woman of the year for the Big Ten. So <laughs> she just brings the energy and really, really, she's not didn't have a great offensive night. She hit a couple in the net, just a couple errant shots. Yeah, I was really what surprised What she can do with those. the block is great. A couple, especially early on, I made note of that. Like Becca Alec put a couple balls in the net that you just really don't expect to see a middle blocker who can get up that high do it. it, it once again, the rest is offense, not a well-oiled machine. And and I wanted to get into that really quick before we um, look at the rest of the Lincoln Regional. You know, this is still a sport where your outside hitters have to be stars or produce. You know, at least to a replacement level or above, if, if you're going to go deep in the tournament. So I sat down. Um, Saturday morning and just kind of ran the numbers of all of the the expected title contenders. So this is Nebraska. This is all the other number one seeds. And then I threw in uh, Texas and Louisville, who were two seeds as well. I'd say those six teams kind of are the the, the national champion is going to come from one of those six teams. And I looked at the production and the efficiency of the, those teams starting outside hitter duos. And Nebraska's is noticeably lower than the rest of than the rest of those those teams outside hitters. So and this is only it was just taking out Lindsey Krause because we don't know if we're going to see her the rest of the year. But this is Allie Batenhorst and Harper Murray. You know, they're hitting 234 combined on the season. 
and and that does not include Saturday's match, and, and it probably goes down even a little bit more if you uh, if you add in Saturday's numbers. Wisconsin starting outside hitters, and that includes Sarah Franklin, the Big Ten Player of the Year, is are hitting 282. Stanford's outsides are hitting 284. Texas's are 264. Louisville's are the only ones that's really close to Nebraska at 246, but still 12 points higher. And Pittsburgh's outside hitters are hitting 274. So Nebraska is at least Nebraska's outside hitters are hitting at least 30 points, and in some cases. 60 points lower, or excuse me, 50 points lower than the starting outside hitter duos of the other national champion contenders. And that's just, um, that's a little frightening if you're looking at how, at Nebraska's chances of going to the Final Four or or winning the national title, which is kind of what the standard of the season has become when you're 30-1 and one and you win the Big Ten title. Nebraska has the the least efficient, highest error outside hitting duo of all of the national title contenders. Yeah. And and that's got to be a concern going into weekend two of the tournament. It, it is, but I, I don't know. I, I Looking at the rosters of those other teams, men, mentally just running through them, I mean, Merritt Beeson is Nebraska's best player, though, and she's not mm-hmm. included in that. So I think that... And, and she, some of these other teams yeah. have great opposites, too, though. You know, Pittsburgh, Wisconsin has, yeah. Olivia, um, I forget her last name. Babcock. Olivia Babcock, their freshman opposite, is probably their best player. Yeah. Um, Stanford, of course, has Kendall Kipp, who is the opposite, who player, I didn't yeah. include in those numbers. So, yeah, you can get a lot of kills from your opposite hitter, and, and Nebraska does. And at the international level, that's usually where most of your kills come from. But your outside right. still have to hold up their end of the bargain. Yeah. And I think it is it is questionable right now whether Nebraska's outsides are doing that or will do that at a level that will, you know, get you to the national title match. Yeah. And just, I mean, a little bit of Lindsey Krause update as but too, as but since we're talking about Nebraska's outside hitters, she did practice last week for Nebraska. And when we talked to uh, John Cook on Thursday, he said that she might go through warmups on the, before the first or second round matches. She did not. She was still wearing street mm-hmm. clothes. So she seems close, but it's also it's a dangerous proposition to have mm-hmm. a player who hasn't played in almost five, six weeks to mm-hmm. step into the regional semifinals, the biggest match of the year. Right. Uh, granted, it, it, it helps that it'll be at home, so a little more comfort and it's not completely foreign, but mm-hmm. that's a tough ask to have a player. I mean, I know Lindsey Krause wants more than anything else to be out there and uh, to have that pressure and welcome that challenge, mm-hmm. but that's, that's a tough ask. Yeah. Do you put do you put a 75% Lindsey Krause out there over 100% Ali Batenhorst, who... You know, has her challenges offensively, but is a really good blocker. And we saw that on Saturday. Um, and, and I'm just making up these percentages. I don't know because I I think whatever it is, it's not going to be 100 percent or, you know, there's no guarantee that we're going to see Lindsay for for the rest of the season. Um, I think if you do see her, it's going to be this weekend. But, you know, you've got a lot of work to do before then. So I know um, we want to get through the rest of our rotations. Let's go real quick, Lincoln, through the rest of the Lincoln Regional. I'll, I'll yeah. start real quick. Number two, Kentucky, who um, is expected to to be a potential matchup for Nebraska in the Elite Eight. They were pretty untroubled. Their offense is humming. They hit 390 against Wofford and 500 against Baylor. The Wildcats have now won 18 straight matches. Um, Brooklyn DeLay, their freshman outside hitter, had a great uh, weekend, had 13 kills in both matches. She was the SEC freshman of the year, and I just found out this morning, she actually uh, went to the high school alma mater that my dad went to at oh, uh, right. Washburn Rural High School in Topeka, Kansas. Huh. So, what, When I think of Brooklyn Delay, I think of, I charted out into that minute-long rally that Nebraska had, and she had like mm-hmm. six attacks in that. So whenever I think Brooklyn Delay, I always think back to that long, minute-long mm-hmm. rally that they had in Kentucky had against Nebraska. Yeah, I think she had seven kills in the team's first meeting and, and has picked it up, you know, since. And Ms. Kentucky has three or four players that can put balls away. So For sure. they're a problem. 
Yeah, so there's a two seed, number three seed, Arkansas. They swept Stephen F. Austin, which uh, Jeff added a note, this team that got in over Kansas State. He's still uh, hammering the NCAA committee for leaving out the Wildcats. Yeah, real uh, real glorious weekend for the <laughs> Sun Belts four teams to get in over, you know, some other teams that might have put up a little bit more fight. Yes, but uh, so uh, Arkansas took care of them, and then they uh, they got a little bit more of a challenge from uh, TCU, who was one of the te- few six teams who pulled a first-round upset in the tournament. Uh, but they Arkansas prevailed three to one. Taylor Head had 18 kills. Maggie Cartwright had 16, and then uh, Jillian Gill Gill Gillian had uh, I think she had double digit kills as well too. So uh, Arkansas mm-hmm. is a three seed. They will face off with Kentucky in the second round. Uh, but Nebraska's opponent, uh, we will not have an all SEC uh, tournament at Lincoln no. Devaney Center this weekend. Georgia Tech upset and knocked off. I mean, it was a four five matchup. So. Mm-hmm. But they took out Florida, and Florida people were saying were slightly overseeded. Mm-hmm. But Georgia Tech did win on the road. I mean, one one of the hosts of this podcast said that Florida was slightly overseeded too. Uh, and we're going to get more into Kentucky, Arkansas, and Georgia Tech on a midweek show. Um, but uh, Tamara, I hope I'm saying this right, Tamara OTN, we will get this right before the midweek show. We promise. Was the star of the show for Georgia Tech against Florida? Twenty one kills. Bianca Bertolina. Had 18 kills. I was able to listen to the the post-match radio interview with Jalen Reyes after Nebraska's went over Missouri. And he talked a lot about Georgia Tech and and the international players they have on their roster bring a lot of experience and a lot of skill. And so you're going to see that on display on Thursday afternoon when Nebraska plays Georgia Tech in the Sweet 16 at the Devaney Center. And Georgia Tech, they went five with Florida. So it was an exciting match, too. And Georgia Tech ended up winning that fifth set 16 to 14. So mm-hmm. exciting stuff too. Absolutely. Hey, we want to thank Bison Incorporated for supporting Volleyball State and helping us expand this show. If you need competition quality volleyball equipment, you can contact the good sports at Bison Incorporated. This Nebraska-based manufacturer has the widest selection of indoor and outdoor systems available with your choice of carbon, aluminum, steel, hybrid, and portable volleyball systems. So Volleyball Day in Nebraska, when it was set up inside Memorial Stadium, That was played on Bison's freestanding portable arena junior. And look at what happened to all the teams that were playing and volleyball day in Nebraska. Uh, The Huskers and UNO both make the NCAA tournament. Um, So do Wayne State and UNK. Wayne State's going to the Division II Elite Eight. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. So Bison Incorporated was the good luck charm of all of the teams at volleyball day in Nebraska. And they can be great for you and your facility as well. You can call them at 800-247-7668. For help finding the perfect fit for your facility, or you can check out their inventory online and request a quote and find a bison dealer near you at www.bisoninc.com. And also, Bison Incorporated also sponsors the the volleyball magazine um, bracket contest. How's your bracket doing? Have you taken I'm, a look at it? I'm doing pretty good, I think. I, I haven't checked out where my standings are, but I feel uh, I only missed uh, only missed uh, I think a couple four first round matches and doing pretty well in the uh, Sweet 16 as well too. Now, be honest. Did you pick Creighton to go to the Sweet 16? No. No, you didn't. That was, the, was, that was literally the one. I got 50. Let's not tell her. Let's not tell her. We're not going to talk about that. Um, when we uh, when we speak with Creighton head coach Kirsten Bernthal Booth, who is having a, an exceptional season, uh, the Blue Jays now have won 17 matches in a row. Creighton swept Minnesota on Saturday night in Omaha at DJ Sokol Arena and are headed to the Sweet 16, I believe, for the first time since 2016. And Kirsten was kind enough to join us 
to recap the regional and talk about the great season the Blue Jays have. So right now we're going to throw it to Rotation 2 and our chat with Creighton head coach Kirsten Bernthal-Booth. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We are joined on Volleyball State today with Creighton head coach Kirsten Bernthal-Booth. Coach, good morning and congratulations on the trip to the Sweet 16 this weekend. Thanks. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Have have you come down off the high of last night's win over uh, Minnesota yet? Or did you get much sleep last night? I didn't get a lot of sleep. I, I was. It's up there with one of the best, uh, you know, moments of my coaching history. It was a pretty special night. But I, so I gave myself all night last night. And uh, but now it's now we're focusing on Louisville. And, and there's just I mean, it's a quick turnaround. So I think at this point now I'm in the panic mode of, oh, my gosh, we have so many things we need to get done. And it's finals week. So the players are in oh, panic goodness. mode, too. When you travel out there, when like Tuesday, what, what's yeah, the next 48 hours like for your team and your coaching staff? Well, fortunately, we have a lot of different people working. Uh, the big the big nugget right now is trying to get travel organized, you know, who's going to be in our travel party, all of that good stuff. And then obviously we need to dive into Louisville. Uh, so that'll be a priority today. And then, you know, trying to make sure we're locked into our team, watching film, where we can get better. You know, right now it's just small little things so that when we get in the gym tomorrow, we're making sure we're using our time wisely. For sure. Uh, I watched the, last night's uh, the match and it looked like a lot of fun packed house, great environment too. Uh, yeah, I saw you say after the match that beating Minnesota was the monkey off your back. I mean, this is the first time you've reached the Sweet 16 since 2016. So I mean, what's the, the biggest emotion you're feeling? Is it pride, relief, excitement? What, what, what emotion are you going through? I think there's a little bit of all of that, you know, um, we made two sweet 16s back to back and both of them were on the road. And, mm-hmm. um, so then when we got the opportunity to host, you know, a couple of years, we just got beat. I remember one year we lost to Michigan state and I just thought they were the better team. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last two years we've, you know, the first, you know, early in the match two years ago, Jayla Zimmerman, our all American tears our ACL last year, Kinder Waite um, gets a concussion and can't yeah. play. And, you know, to some degree, you're like, is there a jinx? Like, what's what's the deal? Is what is our karma off or, or what's going on? So uh, we bubble wrapped them last week and fortunately <laughs> everyone got to play. But, yeah, I think th- I mean, I would be lying if I didn't say there was some sense of relief. Um, you know, I, I you know, we tried not to put that on the players, but I think I mean, I, I heard there was rumblings that some of the players were like, I hope we go on the road. And you're like, no, <laughs> no, no, we don't want to yes. go on the road because we're really good at home. So. Um, yeah, and it, it's, it's, our crowd was incredible. And so, you know, you want them to be a part of it and, you know, it's great for them to experience because it was fun for all of us. You're, you're finally on the better uh, side of the injury situation going into the postseason this year, but it's not like you've been injury free all year and Norris Sis missed several weeks with an injury this season. You know, that seems like it maybe gave some other players an opportunity to emerge and step up who was able to kind of step up and, and keep this team rolling while Nora was out. Well, and Nora is one of, I think, three starters that we've had out at different times this year. We've had quite a few players, you know, some of them short term. Nora was the long one. Um, You know, Destiny Simpson, freshman, came in and just did a fantastic job. Um, She's not playing right now very much, but when I get opportunities to put her in, I do because I think she is a cog that we can lean on. 
um, in any, any of our pin positions, you know, she's a spark plug kid. She's a really great player. And had she not had those weeks of playing time, I might not feel that comfort to just, you know, plug her as needed. Um, you know, Sydney Bressinger was playing DS, uh, Ellie Bolton twisted her ankle. Sydney, you know, has emerged into that libero spot doing a great job. So there's been different players, uh, that have stepped up and, but I think the thing is, is that I really trust the depth of our bench. You know, if we needed to go to people, uh, the, the good thing is they've all stayed locked in in practice. It's not like just the starters are practicing hard. Sometimes mm-hmm. that happens, you know, kids start to get off board at that point and they've, they've really done a nice job of all continuing to work hard and be prepared. Yeah. The other storyline too, I mean, Ellie Bishmeyer kind of really emerged and looked like she got better as the year. I mean, what kind of dynamic does she add to your team? Yeah, I think there were a couple components to that. First of all, Kendra needed to get used to the type of set that she wanted. She likes a really yeah. fast set and, and, and it needs to be the pin because uh, Ellie loves to look line first. And then if that's there, she goes cross and some of Kendra's balls were dying in. And then Ellie's shoulder was kind of a mess. She went home one weekend and arrived back and said, I got a cortisone shot in my shoulder. And we were like, oh, because it doesn't usually work that way. And she's like, yeah, I went to the doc and they were like, do you want me to do it? And I said, go for it. And she, she honestly has been a different kid since then. I, I, I don't think I recognized how much pain she was in. Yeah. We, we talked on our show last week when we were previewing your potential match with Minnesota that we thought Kendra Waite could be the best player in that match. And, and we know that having an experienced setter can make all the difference. She's the Big East player of the year this year. You've got a three-year starter at setter. Just how important is it to to have a player like Kendra who kind of steers the ship on the court? Yeah, Kendra's a, a special player, and I think you have to watch her to to recognize it because, you know, most setters are just doing a good job distributing the ball, but Kendra often leads our team in digs. Um, she's so fast, you know, balls that most setters are taking with her forearms. She's getting her hands on so that can keep us in rhythm. She's so offensive. I mean, she played a big role in that third game last night when we were down a few, I think she got three kills and four points. I mean, just insane for a setter. Um, you know, she just does a lot for us and, and, uh, and she's a gamer. She's going to work harder than everyone in the gym. And, uh, yeah, I think having some years and I, I'm sure she's still stung a little bit that she didn't get to play in the NCAA tournament last year with that concussion. Well, you mentioned well, too, she, she has to, um, or she's had to, to make some adjustments because of the different players kind of coming in and out of your lineup on, um, the types of sets, the speed of sets, the, the trajectory that she puts on them. How hard is that for a setter to kind of, you know, kind of have everyone's preferences in their mind like that and then make that decision in a, in a split second? I think it's really hard. And I, I think I kind of joke, I think I'm a tough setter coach because I think some, some, programs have the set that they run and the players adjust. Mm-hmm. We probably are more, we're going to adjust to the player. So Nora's ball is different than Ava's ball and Bickelmeyer's ball on the right side is different than Destiny's ball on the right side. And, you know, to be able to remember those things, first of all, and then be able to execute is really a challenge. So, um, yeah, she's, she's pretty outstanding. Um, you know, and, and, my, and our middles are so different, you know, so mm-hmm. she's got to make sure she's setting different balls to them. We, we we heard John Cook call her an all-American caliber setter, too. I mean, how has she improved this third year in the program, too? What growth have you seen from Kendra lead you to this point? Yeah, her setting just continues to improve. That's that's the big thing is, I mean, Kendra will jokingly say, 
the worst thing about my game is my setting, which is not true, but I get what she's saying. She's an incredible blocker. She's an incredible libero. Or deep, I say libero because she always is like, can I go play libero? And I'm like, no, you're setting. Um, <laughs> so I think that's the big thing that she's really worked on. After her first year, we really tried to make some adjustments with her hands. And she's so fun to coach. She's really mm-hmm. cognitive. She's a coach's kid. And, and we kind of coach together. Like we'll have conversations. Okay. What do you think? And it's, it's really been a fun relationship to have with her. You're heading out to Pittsburgh uh, in a couple of days and you're going to face Louisville on Thursday. This is a team that made the final four recently. They're the number five overall seed in the tournament. Although you could have made a, a real easy argument, I think to, to make them a number one seed. What do you know about Louisville to this point? And what do you know you're going to have to do well to beat them? Well, it's such an outstanding program. Danny has done such a great job there. And, you know, I'm good friends with a lot of their staff. Dan's Dan Meske's wife played for me. Yeah, um, Laurel. I've known Tom Ch- Chamberlain for a long time. So, you know, I'm excited to see all of them. And, and what those those guys have done is is truly remarkable. I mean, to, you know, it, and, you know, I was hoping Danny was going to be the first female to win a national championship. Not this year, but in the past year. So. <laughs> um, I honestly don't know much about them. I know they're very disciplined. I know they have some, you know, baller outsides. Uh, it's not a team that I watch all that much. I mean, I've watched them through the Years, but I have not watched them much this year. So that's on my docket. I'll know them well uh, in a couple of days, but I, I don't know a ton about them at this point. I know Glock's mm-hmm. the setter, yeah. um, you know, a Nebraska kid. So yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you mentioned Danny is also coaching there. I think mean, six of the final 16 teams left in the tournament all have female head coaches, including three in your region, too. I mean, do you feel pride that that, I mean, that cohort is growing? I know a couple of years ago, I think there was a region where all four were female coaches, but they're getting more and more, hopefully, opportunities at bigger programs, too, and having more success. I mean, is there, do you have pride following seeing fellow female coaches that number grow? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, you know, what we've seen is a lot of times females are getting the bottom dweller jobs, uh, mm-hmm. in the big, in the big conferences. So, um, you know, it's, it's great to see either women take jobs that were middle of the tier and move them up, um, or get some of the big jobs. Obviously, Danny could get any job in the country. Um, but yeah, it's, it's awesome. And I think, um, you know, for the most part, you know, the division one female coaches support each other. We, we want to mentor, you know, I, I could have been subject to this. Sometimes we get thrown into jobs before we're ready. And I think sometimes, I mean, I just, I mean, when I took the Creighton job, I was 27 and luckily I hired great assistants or I would have failed, you know, so we need to have mentorship. We need to help. Uh, and, and it's not just women. We need to help our young coaches mm-hmm. um, be able to navigate the ups and downs of coaching. And it's hard to coach right now, especially mm-hmm. at the high school level. Um, cool. You know, the power of parents right now is really difficult. Well, and I know uh, a couple of years ago at the final four, um, I heard Mary Wise talk about this when, when Florida was in it and just sort of the support that she had from the Florida administration. They really created a community around her when she was a young coach and, you know, she had young kids and society still expects a lot of women, even in high demand jobs uh, on what, what they're going to do with families as well. You mentioned mentorship. What more, I guess, support or community or resources do you think that administrations could put in place to, to really help young women coaches flourish in this sport? Well, I can speak from experience because I think, you know, when I got into coaching, I, there were many years that I considered getting out because it's hard, you know, and then you and then you had children and you feel guilt. A um, couple of things that Bruce Rasmussen did at Creighton that I I think was transformational for me was when I got hired, 
he hired, it was Terry Pettit. You obviously know Terry Pettit um, to mentor me. And I know we all talk about forming mentorships and, you know, I feel like I have young coaches that I'll reach out and call sometimes, but the fact that he put a financial backing behind it, that we were talking weekly, had someone invested in the program that was watching things so that in, in some of the conversations each week, you know, we were navigating fine, but other times there was big moments or, you know, Kirsten, you're not doing anything wrong here, or this is how I would handle these situations. So that was huge. The other thing, when I had children, they paid for, um, and I think Pettit actually played a role in helping push this. They paid for someone to travel with me. And so I could take my baby along, um, which was really unheard of at that time. There was very few people that had ever done that around the country. And it probably kept me in coaching. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, you have so much, I don't have guilt so much anymore. Um, but I did when, when those babies are little, you, you, and there's society saying you should be at home. You should be spending more time. Mm-hmm. And luckily I have an incredible spouse. My husband's fantastic and very involved. Um, but there's been a lot of pieces to it. Talk about building the program and, and the culture around that too. I mean, we'll take out the 2000 season for the COVID year because that was just weird and strange and and nobody schedules. played that many matches. Yeah, no one played. But I think every other year than that, you've you've won 25 matches for like nine years in a row. I mean, what is the biggest part of your program's identity that allows it to be one of the most consistent, consistently winningest great programs in the country? I think we recruit, recruit young women that are great humans. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to recruit talent. I'm not saying that you don't recruit talent. But, you know, if, if a kid is going to be a problem kid, they either need to get on board or they're going to not be part of the program, you know? And I think uh, I've learned that over the years that a a bad seed can disrupt a really good group. Um, So I think that's the culture that we've tried to create. And then that leads to people hopefully having a good experience. And then that trickles to club coaches and things along those lines that people are like, yeah, you know, I, I liked my time at Creighton. You should consider it. And, you know, we recruit, the other big thing is we recruit against, uh, you know, Big 10, Big 12 the most, and we're different than them. It's not better. It's not worse, but we're a smaller school, smaller academics. They're allowed to do some stuff if they're interested in the medical field at Creighton that they might not be able to do at other schools. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that we kind of lean into. And we're in a volleyball uh, hotbed. You know that in this area. Mm-hmm. Of the that helps I mean, too. Has that recruiting changed? I mean, you've been in the Big East for a number of years, too. But when you first started, it was the Missouri Valley. Did that recruiting kind of change or did the Big East allow you to go after a different different type of athlete? You know, I think in some of our sports, it changed a lot. I, I think for us, you know, we were we were Midwestern based then and we're still Midwestern based. Mm-hmm. I do think maybe we get in the door a little bit more because of the Big East cachet. Uh, you know, people have heard of the Big East. You know, if you follow bas- men's basketball in particular and women's basketball, too, now that UConn's in that league, um, you know, I think that gives credibility to the, you know, the the conference. And so then sometimes you get a look because of that, that maybe we weren't getting when we were in the Valley. I remember one time reading, you know, something about about your program where Kelly Browning was like going to nursing school. And I thought, how does she have time to do that? And also, you know, you're prepared for that while also being a Division One athlete. You do you have a lot of players that come through that take advantage of either the nursing program at Creighton or the dental program or the law program? I mean, there's some high level programs that, that Creighton offers. And are you able to encourage players to to follow those disciplines while also you know, meeting the demands of being a division one athlete. Yes. And I, I, again, so we have 
three starters and then a freshman that are all in the nursing program. Norris, Kendra Waite, Kiara Reinhardt, Ava Teestrake are all in the nursing program, which means sometimes they miss class. I mean, Nora and Kendra miss every Tuesday, you know, uh, Kiara last year missed. So there is some sacrifices and some programs won't allow it. But A, it allows us to get in the door on some kids. And then B, again, I strongly believe we are we are building women like it is student athlete. It is not we are not professional athletes. So, I, I mean, if, if you come to our program, our players know that they can, if, if you don't care about your academics, you're not going to be part of this program. So we're you know, I think it's buying into what my philosophy is, is that we want to, you know, put that academic stuff in front or at least, you know, I think they can cohabitate. It's not that the volleyball is not important, but you know what I'm saying, that, that yeah. mm-hmm. academics are a priority. For sure. And actually, I just, just read about Nora says the great article in the Omaha World Herald about her relationship with Lindsay Krause by Emily Nitsch. So it talks, it talks a little bit about her nursing, nursing interest there, too. Curtin, you talked a little bit about kind of being a parent. Like now your daughter, your oldest daughter, Reese, is a, uh, off to college next year, too, going to play volleyball at UNI. I mean, how are you, are you conf- conflicted in your role versus coach versus mom, too? Or is that going to cause some more anxiety and, and not being able to? I, mean, I imagine you'll be busy during the season, won't be able to watch her much, too. I mean, what is that relationship going to be like? for you? Yeah, I think, I think it'll be sadness uh, when, you know, I can't go in person and watch a lot of those games, but, but most of it, you know, I, she's had such a fantastic experience at Elkhorn North high school um, in multiple sports and so many great coaches. And, you know um, I'm just proud of her. And I, you know, I think as we went through this recruiting process, I didn't get to go on any of the visits because it was during preseason for us. My husband took her, which probably was good, but, you know, I, as we narrowed schools, it was trying to find ethical people. Um, Bobby Peterson at UNI have known forever and, you know, they're a powerhouse program uh, in the Valley. They, you know, usually an NCAA tournament team, just a good fit for her. And I think she just felt like the culture, you know, um, you know, we had the conversation that I have with recruits, like, what do you want your role to be? Because mm-hmm. if you want to go to a top 20 program and walk on and, and fight for time, you can do that. But just know that you may not ever be on the court. Or do you want to go to some place that they think, you know, they're at least projecting you to play? You got to earn it, but yeah. projecting. And so so it was interesting kind of going through those conversations. And you need both kids. I mean, mm-hmm. I, if she'd said, no, I want to come, you know, I want to go to a top 20 program and just fight and be mm-hmm. a role player as needed. I would have supported that too. But she said, you know, I want to go someplace that they at least think I'm going to have a shot to play and we'll see how the chips fall. Sure. Uh, are you going to schedule you and I? We actually, ironically, oh. are scheduling uh, you and I, Louisville and Rice for the next okay. four years, all female wow. coaching staff. So that was actually a priority as we did that uh, because Bobby Peterson's daughter is going to Louisville. So so those three schools were (laughs) locked. And then we talked to Jenny at uh, Rice because they've been a a powerhouse program over the years, too. So. So, yeah, we start that next year at Louisville. Creighton still got some work to do this year. However, they are going to play Louisville in the first of the Sweet 16 matches at noon on Thursday. That's in Pittsburgh. Creighton takes a 17 match winning streak into the Sweet 16. And their coach, Kirsten Bernthal Booth, thank you so much for joining us today. And best of luck this week. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And thanks again to uh, Creighton coach Kirsten Bernthal Booth, uh, and good luck to the Blue Jays this week in Louisville. Now we're going to move on to rotation three. We'll go up to Madison for Wisconsin region. This is uh, one region that I like to nickname the future of the Big Ten because next year, all four teams playing in the regional semifinals will be members of the Big Ten. 
the mergers and acquisitions region. Yes, the mergers actually you have well, you have you have number one Wisconsin. It's also the chalk region too. Number one Wisconsin takes on number five Penn State. Uh, and then number two, Oregon plays number three, Purdue. So uh, Wisconsin really wasn't challenged at all. Uh, they had a little bit of a challenge at first set, and they won. They were down twenty-one to nineteen. Ran off. They played Miami points. in the first round. Yes, Miami Hurricanes, not Ohio. Miami, Florida Hurricanes ran off five straight points, and they weren't really pushed. Merrick had fifteen kills. Franklin thirteen. Uh, the weird, weird stat thing that jumped out to me was uh, Caroline Crawford only had one attack in the entire match. So they got mm-hmm. it done. Didn't need much for middle attack. So that was that was in the second round too. Wisconsin wasn't pushed in the first round. Uh, Oregon also rolled. They, they had one tough set where Hawaii was up 23-22. Oregon scored the final three points. And then they cruised in the second and third sets. Morgan Lewis uh, led the Ducks with 14 kills on 21 attacks and did not have any attack errors. We headed down to Lawrence where KU beat um, UNO in the opening round match and, and sends the Mavericks home in their first ever NCAA appearance. But the fun match of the weekend came on Friday where Penn State outlasted KU in five sets. Cooper Reagan and Jess Muzik showdown in Lawrence. Cooper for, for Kansas had 29 kills and hit 464. Jess Muzik also always, always carrying the load for Penn State, 21 kills um, on 61 swing. So it was four blowout sets, right, Lincoln? Each team yeah. kind of won handily. And then we we had drama late in game five. Yeah, it was tied 13-13. Uh, Cameron Hama, Hanna came up with a kill for the Nittany Lions. And then Belomic uh, had an ace there. Belonovic, Belonovic. I'm not Thank sure you. how it's pronounced. Not good but with yeah, Serbian names. That was a beautiful ace. That just like fell off the table and hit the floor right in front of the, the Kansas passer to, to end it. So Penn State holds on in five. Uh, they get to go up to Madison and and play Wisconsin. I believe is this their third meeting of the year? Yeah, I think so. no, no, no. It's it's, a, it's their second. They it's did the play. Second. They did play last year in the regional semifinals as well too. Penn State is one of the three losses that Wisconsin has incurred. I mean, granted mm-hmm. the uh, Anna Smith did not play in that first match, and, yeah. and that was in uh, Happy Valley as well too. So that would they'll switch mm-hmm. sides this time. But it's only the second time that they'll be playing. Mm-hmm. And if the seedings hold, um, Wisconsin might also see another one of their uh, previous season losses in the regional final because Purdue beat Marquette in four. Uh, most of the drama in this match was in the third set. Marquette actually led it 23-19, but Purdue runs off five in a row before Marquette steadies and scores three straight to win the set. Marquette actually had set point in the fourth to force a fifth, but Purdue went on a 3-0 run, and you've got uh, that great player, Eva Hudson, who uh, put down a kill to start the rally for Purdue. Uh, Marquette had an attack error, and then Louisa Shermerhorn had, or excuse me, Maddie Shermerhorn had the uh, the ace for Purdue to win it. So um, Purdue moves on to the Sweet 16. They're going to play Oregon, and that's going to be a fun styles clash because Oregon can run that uh, offense at, at 100 miles an hour, and Purdue is very pin-heavy with Eva Hudson and, um, and Chloe Chacoin. But, you know, when you got hitters like that, you always have a chance. Yeah, and well, the future Big Ten invite happening in Madison, Wisconsin with the Badgers, Nittany Lions, Boilermakers, and Oregon. So that's what we're going up there. We'll move a little bit further south and to the east, and we will go to the Pitt region. Pitt, actually, the number one seed overall, the number one seed in that region, they they drew a tough draw with USC because they have, USC mm-hmm. puts out Skylar Fields, and whenever Skylar Fields gets hot, watch out. And they actually won, the Trojans won the first set. Yeah, uh, this but, was my upset pick last week. I said to keep an eye on, and I saw on 
you know, the broadcasts that uh, USC had taken game one. I'm like, all right, baby, here we go. I'm going to I'm going to look like a genius. Well, Pitt came back and won the final three sets. Well, and it was I mean, Skylar Fields did what she did. I think she had 21 kills, but nobody else had double digits, didn't get much help. And Pitt just ran their good, ran their offense and really, really took care of business. I mean, Babcock and Stafford led, led the charge as well as they have all year. For the uh, for the Panthers, mm-hmm. so they look pretty good too. I think once they kind of got over those, figured out how to deal with Skylar Fields a little bit too. They will play Washington State, who beat Dayton late late uh, Saturday night too. So mm-hmm. uh, the Flyers' uh, fun run to the season ends, and uh, Washington State keeps on marching, and they're uh, they're going to be a fun team to watch too. Mm-hmm. Kind of uh, see what they can do. So we talked a lot about Creighton already in the show. Just real quickly, Norris had 16 kills. Ava Martin, 15 kills in Creighton's sweep over Minnesota on Saturday night. It just shows you, you know, what a high level Creighton can attack at. Creighton had 20 more kills than a Minnesota team that has two all Big Ten level outsides. But, you know, Jenna Wenis and, um, and Taylor Landfair, those two, you know, have not been able to drag Minnesota up to the level that you'd expect from them all year long. So this was not a uh, a shocking upset, I would say. And, and we'll see what the future is for those two players um, at Minnesota next year. Uh, Louisville is the um, the number two seed in that regional. They dropped their first set of the tournament to Wright State, but bounced back to uh, win the next six sets of the of the weekend. They swept Western Michigan in the second round, um, who had pulled one of the few upsets, I would say, in round one. Western Michigan beat Auburn in round one. And that was Go the first match of the entire tournament, too. That's the one who kicked mm-hmm. us off Thursday uh, early afternoon. Player to watch from Louisville, their middle blocker, Kara Cressy, hit 514 with 22 kills over the two matches um, this weekend. So Louisville, kind of like Nebraska, is a is a pretty balanced team where the kills can come from everywhere. And so, you know, Creighton's going to try to play spoiler in this regional. This regional final could be the third meeting of the season between Louisville and Pitt. And that, um, that would be on Saturday is the regional final there. Louisville swept Pitt in the first meeting. Then Pitt came back and won a five-setter in Pittsburgh in the second meeting of the of the season there moving to rotation five out west in stanford we alluded to this at the top of the show stanford gave their fans a heart attack on saturday night the they few had fans to go, that were in the stands yeah yeah all 19 of them had to go five in the second round to escape a scare from houston and and i don't know stanford like has a way of their stats look immaculate and then you look like wait a minute how'd they lose two sets to this because yeah. stanford hit like what they hit 401 in this match I don't know if I've ever seen like a Nebraska team hit 400 and then have to sweat out a five setter, but um, Stanford's offense is never in question. Elia Rubin, their sophomore outside, had 23 kills. Kendall Kipp, 16. Katie Baird, 16. Stanford hit 540 over the first two sets of this match to take a 2-0 lead, but then Houston comes back and wins games three and four. Um, kind of like they did against UCLA, Stanford then puts their foot on the gas in game five, uh, put together a 6-0 run to take control, but a little bit of sweat from Kevin Hambly's crew in round two. Yes. Stanford will take on Arizona state in the sweet 16 after Arizona swept BYU at, uh, at uh, BYU yeah, in, in Provo, Provo where they like never lose. And so, Arizona yeah, state the, just took them apart. Yeah. The third time they had, uh, it's the third time. So there'll be the third time that Stanford and Arizona state play. Um, both teams, uh, were swept. That, that was one of the weird losses of the year too. Arizona, Arizona State swept Stanford. Um, but so mm-hmm. I would say Arizona State did everyone the NCAA a solid by knocking out BYU because that was the one question of what was the NCAA going to do if the uh, if BYU made a deep run and possibly made the NCAA championship match that was scheduled to play on a Sunday. But 
Hmm. No longer an issue. Arizona oh, yeah, because BYU doesn't like to play on Sundays. They do, yeah, they do not play on Sundays. So Arizona State made that problem moot. So, uh, mm-hmm. But Arizona State, they have uh, Marta Levinsky, who is a uh, transfer for them. She had 17 kills against BYU. She's averaging 4.7 kills, and it's hitting 352. So talking about outside hitters who get it done. Uh, she uh, mm-hmm. she leads that uh, Sun Devil crew. It's a very retooled roster under their first year coach. On the other side of that region, uh, Texas is going to face Tennessee in the Sweet 16. Texas beat Texas A&M uh, in four in the first round, and they swept SMU in round two. So two Lone Star State opponents for them. Tennessee also looked great. Um, they swept High Point and Western Kentucky in the uh, in the first two rounds. And yeah, go ahead, Lincoln. I would say my, this is my fun the fun stat. I don't know if it's fun for whoever it is, but Texas lost that first set against Texas A&M. Uh, the Longhorns have been a horrible starting team. They are na- they've lost nine first sets, and in those nine after those, they've lost that first set. They are six and three in those matches. Oh so wow! Even if they lose the first set, it's not a uh, death sentence for them. They are six mm-hmm. and three after losing the first set. Want to go back to Tennessee real quick? You know, we've talked a lot uh, this on this season on the show about the transfers away from Ohio State in. Um, you know, Kylie Murr and Mac Pedraza, who ended up on Big Ten teams. One player we haven't talked about that also left after spending four years in Columbus was Janasia Moore, um, an outside for who transferred to Tennessee. She had a great opening weekend of the NCAA tournament, 38 kills over the Volunteers first two matches. And so um, she's another player from uh, the Ohio State roster last season that's moving on to the second weekend of the tournament. And we don't talk about the other one that we don't talk about either is Gabby Gonzalez at Oregon, too. She had a good weekend for the Ducks, too. So she's right. another one of those uh, Ohio State expats. And I think the last one is uh, Adriana Powell from Clemson. Clemson mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of good, but it's it's kind of fun to see all the different uh, Ohio State Buckeyes. I, I wanted to put this together of a social media thing. Where are they now? So here's uh, that's good. Where are they now? They're they're playing in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. And Ohio and, State and is not. Almost like, all of them are made that second round, too. You you hope it's worth it for the Buckeyes and Jen Flynn Oldenburg. You just hope it's worth it over the next couple of years because yeah. there was a lot of good players that were on that team that could have been on that team this year. So that is our look at the NCAA tournament. We spent five rotations on it. We're going to stay in the NCAA tournament, but just go down a, a couple notches in rotation six. This is volleyball state. Nebraska is the volleyball state. And, and there are still some teams competing Four championships at some lower levels that that uh, called Nebraska home. The biggest one, the most prominent one in Division Two, Wayne State um, is moving on to the Elite Eight. They swept Minnesota Duluth in the first round. Then they knocked off UNK in five sets. Nebraska Kearney in a rematch of the Volleyball Day in Nebraska exhibition um, in the Central Regional Semifinals. So that was the 450th win for uh, Wayne State coach Scott Kneifel, who joined us on the show a, a month or so ago. And then the big match, um, you know, the third meeting of the season between Wayne State and perennial Division II power Concordia St. Paul out of the Twin Cities area. Wayne State wins that in four to win the Central Regional Championship, which, as we've covered several times on the show, is basically like its own final four. It's the toughest region in the country. And now the Wildcats move on to Moon Township, Pennsylvania uh, this week, where they will play in the Division Two Elite Eight, that's the home of Robert Morris University, who is who is hosting the Division Two tournament. But Lincoln, Wayne State yeah. was facing a lot of trouble in Game Four. Looked like they might have to go to five to try to win this. Until yeah, what so, happened? Uh, Kelsey Cotta stepped to the uh, service line too. I mean, Wayne State was down twenty to fifteen. Looked like things were to head to a fifth set too. Uh, Wayne State had pulled out a couple tight ones. They won the first set 25-27-25, then won the third set twenty five twenty three. Uh, but Kelsey Cotta, 
uh, step to the service line. You're a northeast Nebraska guy. Is it Chata or Kata? I imagine with with the way that the north, what I know of the northeast Nebraska, you know, uh, genealogy, um, it's Chata. And I think there's like a Chata law firm in Omaha, too. But uh, great, great service run by Kelsey and then Taya Beller, uh, who is one of Wayne State's big guns, had uh, 16 kills in the match as well. I'm much more much more familiar with the uh, Beller name from my uh, Columbus Telegram days. The UFA, a very strong name around the uh, yeah. Lindsay Lindsay Humphrey area too. So she she really kind of stepped up and carried them. She had 16 kills. Kelsey uh, Chada had 15 kills. Maggie Bramer 13 uh, kills. Beller also had six blocks, including three solos. So mm-hmm. really good team effort for Wayne State. Uh, I unfortunately it was also going on the same time as the Nebraska. Missouri match, so I was forced to stat mm-hmm. watch and see some exciting play by play. Just re- reading it. Yeah. Uh, hey, I'm glad that, that Division Two does live stats, so we yeah. can we can see this. Their streams might not always work, but but live stats does. So there, uh, the interesting thing about the Division Two Elite Eight, we can't tell you at this point who Wayne State is going to play because these teams are reseeded once the Elite Eight is fully settled and those final um, Elite Eight um, or third round matches are being played on Sunday. And so by the end of Sunday, we're going to know the uh, the Division II Elite Eight. We're recording a little bit earlier on Sunday. But some big names to keep an eye on. Tampa is always really good. Um, de- defending Division II tam- champion West Texas A&M is still alive. And uh, Missouri-St. Louis also look like they're going to be challenging for the D2 title. But Wayne State could be, you know, they spent most of the season as the number one ranked team in Division II. They yeah. could be the two seed in this, but, but they're yeah. going to be one of the teams to beat to try to bring home that D2 yeah. title. How weird is that to be a number two seed in your region and then you could make the lead eight and be the number two seed overall, um, mm-hmm. especially based on the, I mean, they're the second highest ranked team left in division two. So mm-hmm. good showing by them. Uh, they weren't the only Nebraska team playing in the postseason this past weekend too. Uh, Midland, uh, Midland University in Fremont, Nebraska, uh, they participated in the NAIA. And again, we had another inner Nebraska showdown on Friday with big uh, stakes on it. They played Concordia. Concordia was one of the top, I think they were top, they were the fourth seed. They're yeah. one of the top top. They spent seasons. some time as the number one ranked team in NAIA yeah. this year. Yeah, so Midland actually upset Concordia and in, in pool play, and that that advanced them to the eight team uh, seeded tournament, not single elimination tournament. Uh, to go, this is going up, and I believe Sioux City. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, they play Iowa. at the Tyson. They play at the Tyson Event Center up there. So Midland advanced to that. Uh, they took on Viterbo, which is the university, which is up school up in La Crosse, Wisconsin, in the quarterfinals. And unfortunately, Midland lost in four sets. So, but they end their season in the quarterfinals of the NIA tournament. Uh, Bell, I should just a little shout out. Bell University also qualified, uh, but they lost to the uh, number one Northwestern Iowa mm-hmm. uh, I, I, in, in, the, in, the, in their pool play. To, mm-hmm. So, do I have this right? All of the all of the in-state NAIA schools are out of it. Their seasons are over now. Yep. Yep, they're down to the, I believe the semifinals are on Sunday. So, mm-hmm. uh, but Mid- Midland was the one who advanced the furthest getting to the quarterfinals. Yeah. So, so very fine seasons for them. We're going to keep an eye on the Wayne State Wildcats as they play in the Division II Elite Eight later on this week. So, that is our show for this week. If it feels like we didn't spend a ton of time on the Lincoln Regional, we are going to come back in the middle of the week, probably on Wednesday. Um, or have something for you first thing Thursday morning that dives deep on all of the teams remaining in the Lincoln Regional, how Nebraska can get by Georgia Tech, Arkansas, and Kentucky 
Um, three Southern teams that are coming up to Lincoln this weekend. Reminder, the Sweet 16 is on Thursday. Then you take a break on Friday, and the regional finals will be on Saturday. It's a little bit of a format change this year in the NCAA tournament. And remember, get those PTO requests in. Nebraska plays at uh, 1 o'clock on Thursday. So get that PTO request in on uh, on Monday yeah. morning. Start working on your cough or your fever by Tuesday <laughs> or Wednesday so the boss has it believable uh, by by Thursday morning. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week and all of the weeks across Volleyball State. Be sure to subscribe and review on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at Volleyball Pod. Email us at VolleyballState at gmail.com. And you can find us individually. I'm on Twitter at by Jeff Sheldon. Lincoln, what are you working on this week? More tournament stuff, too. Do a recap of the... Is that uh, still happening? Oh, yes. All that stuff. So we'll, we'll have me availability on Wednesday. Uh, but yeah, we'll uh, get excited to uh, get dive full head deep into a uh, regional round uh, here in Lincoln. We'll have to travel to get on a plane ride. That'll be nice this year too, but you can follow mm-hmm. uh, all the stats and fun things that I find out uh, this week on my Twitter account at Lincoln underscore VB. If you do threads, I'm Lincoln a underscore VB. And thanks again to podcast house media. We are a proud part of their family and you can find more podcasts at podcasthousemedia.com. Thank you for listening and keep living in the volleyball state.